want to welcome you to Deliverance Temple, those of you who are in the building, as well as those who just joined us online, and we're just in a just a worshipful moment, and I'm just thinking of the goodness of God, just to me personally, in, uh, and not necessarily in the good things, but how he's been good to me in the hard things, and it's helped me hold my mind together, and for that, I'm you're grateful. Now, some of y'all say, well, you pastor, you are a little crazy. Well, I am, but, but God has still held me together. And the fact that I can still smile, that I still got my smile, that I still have my laugh, that I can still get up out the bed and face the day. I got to give praise to God for that. Hallelujah. I may not be where I want to be, but I'm sure not where I used to be. And for that, I give God praise and glory. Come on, clap your hands this morning. All right. That brings me great pleasure. Go, go ahead and bring up the, the name of our speaker for this morning. And so this is a friend of the ministry who is no stranger to us. He's a blessing. So will we stand to our feet and let's receive our brother Neil as he comes in his own way. You're such a blessing to us, and you're an extension of our bishop, and we love you. So we're so grateful to hear from you. Right, God bless you, you, Brother Neil. Thank you all for having me. Um, y'all can y'all can have a seat. Y'all can have a seat. Um, I'm here today with my beautiful wife, Kelly, um, and she has been right here with me since uh, we started dating each other in 1989. And uh, uh, this year, we're going to be celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary in January. So she has put up with me for that long. Um, this morning, I'm going to share some stories. Uh, this may not be the, the normal sort of uh, preaching you got. But, um, you know, I have been preaching in churches for a long time. But most of those churches have been places where... They're predominantly white people in those churches. And the loudest it ever gets is like, mm. Mm. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm going to be me and you be you. And let's mix it all up and see what happens in here today. I trust that God has something that he wants to say to all of us here. Uh, so let's start with the scripture here for today. Uh, one scripture that we're going to go through and we're going to talk about it. We're going to tell some stories. We're going to rehash it. We're going to talk about it. And then we're going to talk about it some more. Right. Same story. It's in Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. I'm going to have to trust you back there to move the slides. So I'm just reading it off the slides. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. <laughs> so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached up to the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Oh my God. Mm -mm. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, on this day, salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When Johnny, this is not his real name, came up for communion, we shared the usual pleasantries that are typical at a Thursday night meal at Avondale Church. I live just south of the old GM plant uh, on 10th Street, right next to the church. And I asked the question, how, how are you? Pretty good, he said. It's always pretty good or fine. That's what, that's what we all say. That's our Midwestern response that keeps us from really knowing the true story about one another. If we could have cut through the pleasantries, how are you really doing, Johnny? This is what he would have said. He would have said that he was about to do a hot shot. It's a combination of injectable meth and heroin to numb his pain. And if I die, I die because nobody cares anyway. This is the body of Christ broken for you, I said to him, so that you might have life. Take it. He said, I want you to know I love you. This is the blood of Christ in our sad little cup of grape juice with little pieces of bread floating around in it. It's a sign of new life and redemption and resurrection. Life in the middle of so much death. He said, you know I'm a brother in Christ, don't you? And that question hung between us with some silence. There were tears starting to form in both of our eyes. One of us who has always had enough and the other who would furiously chug a cup of lemonade given to him so he could raise his blood sugar. One of us with a body that is used to having everything it needed. And the other, a body marked by a hard life on the streets. Thin, baggy clothes, sweats from being dope sick. And infected injection wounds on his arms from using dirty needles. You know we're brothers in Christ, don't you? That's what he asked me. And if I'm honest about myself, 10 years ago, I never would have even considered that as a possibility. Even though I had been pastor for 20 years or something like that, I thought Johnny was the type of person I was supposed to save from the destruction that he was bringing on himself because of his addiction and his lifestyle, not someone for whom I might have shared a love with Christ. My brother. Our brothers and sisters in Christ might be walking the streets right now. Sleeping in tents. Showing up at meals, free meals in the neighborhood. Battling addiction, sitting in jail. Broken and struggling. Crossing the border with all the clothes they own on their back. Walking the equivalent of 115 marathons over the span of five to eight months of daily walking just to get to a place to be safe. And then stand in front of Home Depot for a little bit of cash. 
Our brothers and sisters are out there everywhere. There's a lot more we need to say about that, but we have brothers and sisters, of course we know this, who are not showing up at church on Sundays, right? Johnny and I, we actually knew each other. I had to run him to the hospital one time to deal with an infected injection wound. He had a high fever. He was so sick. I took him to Aldi on South Madison because he didn't have a car. We talked about books. We had read together. We had grilled food together for our Avondale meal. We had laughed and cried and even prayed together. We started offering communion at our Thursday meals when we first started them over seven years ago. And it was just a simple way for folks to engage in spiritual things, in conversations about faith and Jesus. It wasn't expected that anyone really participate. There was just an invitation. You can come if you want. And as is the way in neighborhoods, specifically that neighborhood where I live, it didn't happen the way it does in churches. Sometimes a few might show up. Sometimes there'd be lines. If we did it off to the side, there was always this back and forth sort of communication that took place. Well, what does that mean? Well, the chicken was good today. This is the body of Christ. My sister's in the hospital. This is the blood of Christ given for you. Can you pray for my dog? Have you seen the movie Rebel Without a Cause? We got to proclaim and get to proclaim his death until he research. He returns and got to know each other over little pieces of bread and Welch's grape juice. And I guess I just grew to prefer a church this way. So I moved my address down to West 10th Street, right next to the church, changed my profession from being a pastor of a campus church to being a neighborhood pastor, street pastor, working with communities and neighbors and friends on the south side who are in the struggle. And I have developed a lot of friendships over the last several years, uh, not only over there, but over here in Crosstown, too. People in the struggle. And we meet on corners and empty lots and porches and living rooms. On the streets, people talk about religious stuff just as much as they talk about drugs, weather, the police. Um, we don't have a church building except for the churches like Deliverance Temple and the few others that we partner together with in neighborhood ministry. The people who live in these couple of our Southside neighborhoods are members of the church by default. Whether or not they ever show up. Because this is messy and complicated and there are networks of relationships but there is spiritual formation that is happening just like in the church. It's all messy and complicated. He asked me, you know we're brothers and sisters in Christ, don't you? Maybe this speaks to my lack of knowing the world and life and maybe my own small theological bubble that I'm in. But that afternoon, when Johnny asked me that question, I realized that we share the same Christ that I told myself if I take him into my life, he was going to change me completely. And this is what I said to myself even though so much of me remains the same and does to this day. My compulsive eating of food to numb my pain, my distorting the truth at times to protect my reputation, 
the panic attacks I sometimes have, the way I have sometimes gossiped about people. I could give you a long list of my faults if you want to hear them sometime. I got a lot of them. Johnny shot dope, and I have people in my life that I can't or won't forgive and I won't work with because of the things they've done to me. The thing between us, though, being the body and blood of Jesus Christ that we both wanted the same things from, forgiveness and peace and change and hope and rest from the daily and persistent anxieties and pressures that we are feeling in our lives. So we really were the same, weren't we? This was probably the moment when monthly Southsiders, which I had previously known as them and they, the other people that lived in Muncie, became the person I saw when I looked in the mirror. For the first 20 years that I lived in Muncie, I thought there was something different happening down here than what was happening in my life. Actually, there's some better things happening down here. I'm going to drink this water. I don't know whose it is. That's probably yours, Pastor Andre. I'm getting dry. <laughs> don't drink after me. I've had every sickness known to man in the last several weeks. But these tough, hardworking, generous, resourceful, street smart people, they had something to teach me. My neighbors have not been invited to sit on boards. They have not been invited to participate in decisions that are being made about their communities. They don't often participate in the democratic, democratic processes. They don't know how to advocate for their kids with the right words at the school. They got drug felonies. No one helps them clean up the toxic waste from the GM plant that's polluting their neighborhood. They often struggle to pay bills. They don't have enough food on their table. And if you ask them, they would say, no one ever asked us what we even wanted or what we needed. But if you need a spot to crash on the floor or a couch as you're going through a rough patch or a little bit of food or some gas to put in your car so you can make it all the way to the gas station, or a ride to the doctor, or a yard mode, or help fixing your scooter, you're going to find someone to help you. I guarantee you will. You're going to find someone who's going to be an easy yes. And this is what's happening outside the four walls of the church, along with pain from not having enough, and drug use, and sometimes shootings, and sometimes well, the list of that, of course, could go on. Because we've spent seven years getting to know each other in this geographic space. We've done it together with a lot of folks like Johnny and his friends. We did an eight-week anger management program for 40 fourth to sixth grade kids at Avondale where kids got to interact with therapists and black community leaders who live and work right here in the neighborhood. And we got to do community organizing for addiction services so that we could have those on the south side of Muncie, too. And uh, we advocated our neighbors, some of them who could not read or write. They had their own mental health and addiction struggles. And they stood up at city council and said, we need a 24-hour crisis center. And we took trips and tours. Even Bishop Mitchell came with us. And we said, we need something like this in our community. It's coming. A group of 15 ragtag people 
said enough's enough. We need one thing, but then we're going to need something else. And we're going to need more. We're going to need what we need to be able to live in a way where we have enough. Where we are not struggling to survive. So we've been doing all this kind of advocacy, sometimes for better communication between the schools and parents. We've done funerals for neighbors who've overdosed. We've developed compassionate street outreach workers for people who are using drugs in our neighborhoods. We have gotten businesses started community health workers, advocacy for better mental health support for neighbors. We got a kid's bike shop. We have had support groups and recovery groups in the neighborhood, neighbors who've been trained as peer recovery coaches. In our neighborhood over there, we just got an official neighborhood association, and we've been working on that for seven years. We had our first meeting last week, first official neighborhood association meeting. We go to court with people. We write grants for youth workers. We take kids to tin caps or Indians games. Right now we're working on gun violence prevention for young people. Just last Friday, right here in this church, we had 50 community members who have been trained and are getting together to talk about what can we do to prevent violence before it happens. And all these things we have not done for people or for neighbors, but with them. Their gifts, dreams, talents, desires, heart is at the center of this work. We borrowed this uh, from the South African Disability Rights Movement. And I learned it through the principles of Christian community development. This, this saying, nothing for us without us. So we do it together. And when Jesus sat down with a group of outsiders and nobodies for a meal at the home of Zacchaeus, things began to shift. Jewish tax collectors, of course, they were known as the greedy folks. The ones who, with the protection of Rome, began to extort money out of their own people and pocketed what they took. They became the symbols of the worst kinds of people. Usually mentioned with two other categories of people, sinners and prostitutes. And Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. He not only went there, he said, I'm coming to your house today. What were they saying outside? Girl, did you see Jesus walk into that house? They were craning their necks, looking inside. They had something to say. Because he was with them. He was with them, the other. Isn't that what religious people often end up doing? Just ask the people out on the streets. They know that. Standing on the outside, looking in. Judging. I thought these blessings were just for us. No, no, no. No, no, no. It's for all of us. And Jesus shared space and friendship and food and laughter and possibilities with them and those people to show us we all the same. Maurice Blondel, who's a French philosopher, he said, if you really want to understand a man Don't just listen to what he says, but watch what he does. So we watch Jesus. We see that he spent a disproportionate amount of time, it seems, with people on the outsides that others with power had painted outside the boxes. The lepers, the lame, the hungry, sinners, 
prostitutes, tax collectors, the persecuted, the downtrodden, the captives, the prisoners, those possessed by unclean spirits, the rabble, those who knew nothing of the law, the cowards, the little ones, the least, the heavy burdened. I think we're in good company today. Because that's who Jesus spent his time with. The Catholic Church, back in the middle of the last century, they began to call this, this idea of this sort of disproportionate amount of time that Jesus spent with people who who were a little bit lower down on the social stratus. They began to call this the preferential option of the poor. God's preferential treatment of poor folks and poor communities led to a movement where some of these priests actually got excommunicated from the church for teaching these things. And they just kept going around to farms and villages way out in the mountains in places like Guatemala and Colombia and Peru. And they taught communities liberation theology. The same theology that began to be taught in the South that led to the civil rights movement. Jesus loved and spent time with those that the system had nothing for but discrimination and disinvestment and pushing aside and stepping on and over. And let's just be honest, it's hatred. Hatred for the other. Not wanting them to have what we have. Then that same system attempts to teach others to hate themselves. This is the same system, I'll be honest today, that offered and gave me privileges and opportunities and safety as a white person on the back of 400 years of pain that has affected communities like ours here. I understand only a little bit of the weight of that. Just a little bit. And I also understand this to be a sacred space between us right now and a sensitive space because right now we're talking about our Jesus but my people have used our Jesus to make some very different decisions that have affected your families, communities, generations. In January I went to Colombia And uh, I had this opportunity to go with my friend who works at the uh, Muncie Land Bank. And we were going to visit these indigenous communities that were spread all throughout Colombia and uh, just have conversations and learn about what they're doing. We didn't go there to teach them anything. We just went there to learn from them. And uh, we went to one place way up in the mountains. And it was an indigenous group called the Misai. And uh, we spent days with them, talking, experiencing, watching what they do, praying together, sharing together. And on the last day, we hiked up a mountain together. And uh, let me tell you, I was not in shape in the way those folks are in shape. And uh, I was slipping and sliding down the mountain. And there were ladies 70, 80 years old reaching down to pick me up and pull me up that mountain. And you might be surprised to find this. They were knitting while they were hiking up that mountain. At the same time, they put their knitting needles in their hand and reached down to pick up Pastor Neil so that we could keep going up the mountain. We got up to a plateau on that mountain. And there you could look for miles and miles and miles down the valley. And one of the elders shared with us about 500 years of history That used to be creator's land, he said. 
where we find, where we made a way for life. And then there was conflict and war and land contracts and sorts of ownership agreements were made and we were moved up and out and way up into these mountains. And he said, when we think about this, we are filled with rage. I think this was why we climbed the mountain, to see the way things used to be and to see how it was taken from European settlers. And they were pushed up higher into the mountains, but they never gave up. They resisted. And their resistance was taking a place that wasn't meant for farming, and they farmed it. Little plots of land. Sometimes people would tie themselves off with ropes to farm the land that they had been given. And they've been doing that for 400 years in a place not meant for farming. And we'd been watching them do it for the previous couple days that we had been there. And uh, there was a little bit of weight to what they were saying because here was a group of four or five of us Americans standing there. All of us from some of the same European countries that had taken that land. And there was just silence. And none of us knew what to say. This is usually where white people often say really stupid things. So I was like, I didn't say nothing. But as we started walking down the mountain, I said, we represent the people who benefited from your loss, from your pain. And as I was saying, I looked at him and there were tears in his eyes. And without a pause, he said, I forgive you. And we walked down the mountain together and we shared a meal. In the Near East, table fellowship is a sign of peace and trust and brotherhood and forgiveness. A shared table means that we have a shared life together, much in the same way that it meant in the mountains in Colombia. Jesus invites us all to a table that's big enough and has enough space for every person. And at that table, there is healing and forgiveness and movement into friendship and relationship. And when Jesus says that he came to seek and save the lost, that's what he means. And that's what he's saving us from. Not just our own personal forgiveness, which is amazing. But freedom to share space with others who've hurt us and others we have hurt. To share space with the other. In the ragamuffin gospel, Brendan Manning writes this, he said, if Jesus appeared at your dining room table tonight with the knowledge of everything that you are and are not, with total comprehension of your life story and every skeleton that's hidden in your closet, and if he laid out the real state of your present discipleship with the hidden agenda, the mixed motives, the dark desires in your psyche, you would feel nothing but acceptance and forgiveness. For experiencing God's love in Jesus Christ means experiencing that one has been unreservedly accepted and approved and infinitely loved and can and should accept oneself and one's neighbor. And I really like this last line. Salvation is joy in God, which expresses itself in joy with and one with one's neighbor. Let me say that again because I stumbled through that. Salvation is joy in God, which expresses itself in joy in and with 
one's neighbor. Have you ever had a meal that turned into dancing? You probably have. People like me, people, people I've been around, there's not much dancing happening after meals unless we all go to a wedding reception. I met some Afghani refugees, you know, some of the folks who have newly moved to Muncie and was having some conversations with them. We have a neighborhood bike shop and we have bikes. And so I gave some bikes to some guys and afterwards we were just standing there talking. And I asked them, what do you, what do, you do for fun in your country before you came here? He said, well, every night when we finish working, we have a meal together and then we dance all night. I was like, every night? Every night. I thought, you need to have some dance parties over here on the south side. We need some of these. (laughs) A couple months later, we had a learning cohort of people from 10 spots all throughout the nation that have been working on this idea of resident-driven neighborhood revitalization. And we all came together, and it was kind of our last big meeting ever kind of together. But it met in Muncie, which was kind of cool. And... Uh, on the one of the last nights, we decided that we were going to have dinner together, and then I invited everyone over to my garage. I just thought we could all stand around, hang out, talk, have fun. It was a peaceful night out night, beautiful night. The weather was great. Well, we were there probably 10 minutes, and one of the guys from L.A., who's Latino, he saw that I had a computer with some speakers, and he turned it up. And he started playing music and he became the DJ for the night for the next three hours that we danced in the parking lot all night long. I've never had so much fun in my garage. (laughs) And at the end of that night, there's a lady that I had gotten to know from Philadelphia and, and she had come from a place where they have a lot of struggles in their community. And she said, Pastor Neil, this is among the top five experiences of my life. Something happens when we share with one another and spend time with one another and celebrate and dance with each other. And that's how we get to know each other. A couple of years ago, Andre and I, uh, along with Clarence Alexander, if you know him, we were going on a walk around this neighborhood and we got over to the corner of Hackley and Willard. And as we started walking north, we started seeing some kids running. And uh, as they were running down the road, we just kept walking. And we saw that there was a big fight going on, a brawl. And it was mostly kids. And so we walked across the street and we started walking a little faster. And then Andre just jumped in. And he started pulling people apart, pulling kids apart. And I looked over at Clarence and he was standing there holding one kid by the elbow, just kind of standing there. And I looked at myself and I looked at all the kids that had their phones out, you know, on Snapchat. And I thought, I am not going to be the only white person jumping into this mess and getting my butt beat by all these kids and having that recorded. But Andre was in the mob, pulling kids apart, breaking it all up. And I like that. It was like instinct. He just knew, he knew exactly what to do. He did say to Clarence and I afterwards, he was like, hey, thanks a lot for your help. (laughs) Thanks for standing there while I jumped in. But here we all sit and listen and we pray and we worship and we ask God, who are we? And what do you want for our lives? 
And we have to ask ourselves, are we the people jumping into the mob? Getting into the dance with our neighbors? Into the mess? Are we becoming priests? Our peacemakers and resource connectors and friends, are we offering our presence in the same way that Jesus did? Not talking about putting ourselves into harm's way necessarily. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about being with our neighbors who are struggling, some without the things that they need for daily life. Are we knowing and engaging and interfering with violence before it becomes something else and understanding the roots of the problems and challenges facing this community? Or are we indifferent? Are we disengaged? Or are we dancing together? In the culture that Jesus is, was in, you can guarantee that Jesus was dancing with Zacchaeus. I didn't grow up in a place like Industry Neighborhood or like Avondale. In the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, uh, of course times were a lot different here and the place where I grew up. So I enter into the stories of neighbors, of where they've been living and how they've been living. But I also enter into friendship and partnership. And it starts with food, most of the time, and meals, and walks, and radical hospitalities. And it ends up in conversations like one that I had with a, a guy I've gotten to know who's a longtime drug dealer in my neighborhood. And he's getting older. And his dad died. He said, I don't know any religious people. He's like, Pastor Neil, will you do my dad's funeral? And so I did his funeral. There was a few family members that showed up, kind of only people that had stayed connected with him all these years. And then afterwards, the ladies at the church made a meal for that family. So we went down into the basement of Avondale Church, and I could tell he just felt proud that his family was there. He was going around talking to folks and laughing. and They were having a good time. And at one point, he walked over by me. And I looked at him. I said, all this could be yours. He just kind of started looking around. I thought it was a moment that God was doing something. I actually am not even a pastor at that church. But I was like, all this could be yours. <laughs> And there, a tear started forming in his eyes. I said, could you see yourself as a leader of a place for peace and connection and friendship? A haven from many of the things that are going on out there where everyone would be welcome. And the only thing he said to me when he looked me right in the eyes, he said, man, that would be cool. An invitation to the party. Jesus is there. There's peace and transformation and rest and laughter in the midst of pain and mourning and difficulty and stress. Um, and I have been, for these last years, just trying to hand out hope everywhere I can. Scriptures say that we are the aroma of Christ, and so that's the stink I'm trying to put out there. When I struggle to see it myself, I call my friends, I call my brothers, I call my pastors, I call my wife, and I say, remind me again why we're doing all this. We got to get out into these streets with a message of hope. And a message of, you're not alone because Jesus loves you, and I'm also here too. And you're not forgotten just because you've lost yourself. 
And you're not going to die here in this tent. And you're not only going to experience the difficult consequences of bad decisions that we all make, by the way, but actually there's more for you. And God's got it. He's going to give it to you. God's got things like favor and blessing and resources and health. God's got things like bikes and houses that don't leak and roofs and jobs and people who are going to come visit you if you need food. And he's got it all. Actually, if you need friends, he's got all kinds of people sitting in churches right now at this moment that he can rush into making a connection with you. For those that are listening into unlikely friendships, too. And if you need hope, he's got hope dealers out on the streets. And this is all part of the fabric of the work of the kingdom, at least what it could look like on the ground, to know and to be friends with people who are both doing well and people who are struggling. What it means to be a neighbor with people wherever they're at, whatever they're going through, people who are just like us. And as you're doing it, it's going to look different for you than it looks for me. You got your own unique personality, gifts, connections, opportunities. You know things that you know. I know things that I know. And we're going to do it the way God leads us to do it. But today, salvation has come to this house. And it's a salvation from the dividing walls that exist between people. Salvation to a new way of life and new possibilities that are formed through friendship and connection with Jesus right at the very center of it. The last time I saw Johnny was about five years ago. Word on the street is that he had gone into a dumpster to get some food, and he never came out. It seems unlikely, right? Except in places where people go, go get food out of dumpsters and sometimes get hurt in there or sometimes pass out in there or overdose in there. I've known a lot of people like John. We just happened to see one another walking to the gas station, stopping by for short conversations, standing outside of Zips or Norms or wherever, checking in, imagining if, imagining what could happen if we like moved forward together in some positive direction. If we really became friends and believed that God was for us and wanted something for us together. I have to imagine that being with people that are struggling, that's exactly the work that Jesus was doing when he was walking in and out of the neighborhood, offering presence and space that leads to connection and friendship and then teaching eventually and discipleship and futures. It's slow and messy and we got to get our hands dirty. We've got to be a little bit uncomfortable and outside of our element. And that's part of it. I have this last image burned in my mind. And it actually happened right here in this space. It was a Sunday before Bishop Mitchell's funeral. And Melvin was here. And he was staying right up here. And he told the story of how he met Bishop Mitchell. And my story, my retelling of it won't do justice to it, but he said they met in the drug house. And there he was eating a plate of food. Girl, what is he doing in there? He's a pastor. He's a community leader. Did you see Bishop Mitchell over at that house on Ebright? What was he doing? 
He was eating, probably a couple plates, laughing. I saw him laugh at a comedy show that you invited me to, and there wasn't anyone else laughing except Bishop Mitchell. Everyone else was uncomfortable. He was offering presents and friendship, praying, talking. Bishop Mitchell, he was one of the OG hope dealers around here. Just doing what he saw Jesus doing. So let's join him. Let's be Jesus. Let's get out into the streets and make connections with people who need connections for friendship and support and pathways towards something good and meaningful and redemption, something that leads toward hope. And as we do it, we're doing it this in the spirit of Jesus. The friend of sinners, the one who is rescuing and saving us all and inviting us to the table along with everyone else. Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, help us to love our neighbors and offer them friendship and connection and space to receive the love of God in the places where they are. Build your kingdom in the ways that only you can build them, Lord. In the living rooms and backyards and gas stations and neighborhood spaces. On folding chairs and empty lots. Move us into the spaces where we can be your hope dealers. Wherever we are. With those who are doing well. And those who are under the pressures of pain caused by the system. Of our own choices. Other people's choices. And just sometimes bad luck. Help us to be your missionaries for hope and friendship. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Didn't we enjoy that? I just kept thinking, it reminds me of my father. And uh, we, we are going to uh, dismiss in just a second, but uh, I was thinking about the story of Melvin as you were uh, sharing. I didn't know you were going to end up going to it. But there was one thing that, well, first of all, Melvin came in to a service drunk. That's how he first showed up. My dad took some time and spent some time with him. But after he got him sobered up and spent a lot of time with him, he was driving him around and was going to put him in the hotel. And Melvin said, no, you've done enough for me. Don't put me in a hotel. Let me out here on the street. And my dad didn't want to do that, but Melvin convinced him to let him out. And he said that God spoke to him. He said, there's more love out here in the streets than there is in many of these churches because somebody out here will take him in. And he came back and he told us that, and he taught us to not just do church, but be the church out there. And that's what we plan to do. And so uh, I'm grateful, but I'm actually emotional because it reminds me of the legacy that our father left us. And I'm so grateful that, Neil, you're carrying on. And hopefully we are carrying it on. We're not just building this building, but we're actually reaching people out there. And my dad was the type of person who could go to the top. He was with Mike Pence before Mike Pence became Mike Pence. He was all the way down with the homeless. He can go to the up and out as well as the down and out and show the love of Jesus all the way. All right, let's bow our heads one more time and let's dismiss in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this reminder from our brother Neil, God, to be the hands and the feet of our Lord and Savior. To not look at people and judge them, but just share space with them. 
and show the love of Jesus with them. And hopefully through that, deliverance will come into their temples. And not just their temples, but many times we get delivered when we lower ourselves from our high horse and we meet people at the point of their need. Many times, not just they get delivered, but we all get delivered. And God, I thank you for the legacy of our Father. And I thank you, Father, that this ministry will go on doing the things that it needs to do, not just in the building, but in the streets. And not just in the streets of Muncie, but all over the world. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And let everybody say, Amen. God bless you so much. God bless you. We love you. Have a great and a marvelous week. And if you need prayer for anything, we will stay and we will pray with you.